Church, we're continuing our sermon series. This is actually the final part of uh, Samson, and I don't know about you, this has been one of my favorite series of the things that we've been talking about. And, And you know, oftentimes, I think every single person here, you can relate to Samson in one way, shape, or form. You know, how many of you at times think that, like, you're strong enough? You know what I mean? Something's coming your way, like, oh, I got this, and, and I can handle this, and, and I've got it going on, right? You know, oftentimes we think that we are strong, and even in our best intentions, our best intentions, what can happen is they can falter when we face temptation and when we face distraction exactly like Samson did. And so this whole month we've been learning about Samson and, and how to stand strong against the forces of the enemy that wants to take us out. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says this, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. For those of you maybe forgot or you weren't able to be here for this whole sermon series, I'll give you a quick refresher, a little bit of background about Samson, who he was in the Bible. Remember that Samson was called by God and set apart by God. The Bible made that very clear, right? And not only that, he was empowered with a supernatural strength from God. God gave him the ability of strength. But the reason he gave him all this church was to fulfill God's calling on his life. Listen, God gives every single person gifts, talents, and abilities. And the main reason he gives those to you is to fulfill the calling he has on your life. And so the same was with Samson. But like many of us, we kind of fall right into the trap where Samson did. He messed up again, again, and again. See, Samson was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. And so over and over again, he broke the vows that he made to God, right? It's just a few examples, right? He was always chasing after uh, the wrong person of the opposite sex, wasn't he? He was touching things that he shouldn't be touching. He was drinking things he wasn't supposed to drink. And if you remember last week, we talked about that really bad haircut that he got when he wasn't supposed to cut his hair at all. And we also looked in week number two of Samson's emotions, He was an emotion-driven person. How many of you can say you can relate to that? You are driven by your emotions. What you're feeling is what you're doing. What you're struggling with, that's how you're acting things out. He was emotion-driven and he was not spirit-led. And the problem for a lot of us is we let our emotions control us, don't we, instead of letting the spirit drive us. And then last week, we saw that most of us, church, don't ruin our lives all at once. We ruin our lives one step at a time. So today what we're going to do is we're going to pick up the story when Samson was, remember, he was supposed to be delivering God's people, and now he's actually a prisoner. We learned last week that his eyes were gouged out, right, and he was in shackles, and and what he was, they hooked him up like they would a horse or a mule, and he was grinding grain. And so the people, they're mocking him. They're throwing things at him calling him names, and listen, it doesn't get any lower than where Samson is right now in this story. And in his condition, it raises this question. This is for us, church. What do you do when you realize that you've messed it up? You know, what do you do when you realize that, that you've blown it, that, that you've messed it up? Whatever it is, you, you realize that you've wasted the years that God has given to you. You wasted the gifts that God has given to you. And, and you know, some of you, you've done some things that you can't undo. 
You can't undo it. All of us have done that, right? You're embarrassed by your actions. You didn't do what God created you to do. And most of us, what we do is we take this failure very, very personally. Think about this. Men and women, we, we typically find value in different ways, don't we? Girls and guys, we were made up completely different. Ladies, what you typically do is you typically receive value in relationships, don't you? You know, and unfortunately, a lot of ladies, you feel this. You feel that, that you aren't doing well in life if you don't have a relationship. You don't feel like you're doing right. You know, you don't feel like things are going your way if you're not in a relationship. And, and so what happens is you struggle, right? You're always asking those questions. Maybe you're asking them out loud. Maybe you're doing it by your actions. But it's kind of like, you know, do you like me? You know, are we friends? Do, do you think I'm beautiful, right? You know, can we hug? Can we cry together? You know, it's those kind of things. You know, hey, you took 72 seconds to text me back. Does that mean you don't love me anymore? Right, ladies? Sometimes you struggle with that. It's all about relationships with women. You know, everything is relational. I'm, I found out this too. I learned this very early on in life. Girls, even for you, it's relational when you go to the bathroom. You can't go to the bathroom by yourself. Someone says, I got to go to the bathroom, and then 10 girls follow her to the bathroom. You know, three hours later, I have no idea what you're doing in there. But then you all come back together. It's a relational thing for you. See, men, we get value from relationships, but mostly we get value from accomplishments, don't we? We get value from accomplishments. You know, how do we measure up? Guys, we love to compare ourselves to everyone. How do we measure up to everyone else? You know, are, are we doing good? Did we win? Can we conquer, right? We like to be liked, but it isn't all about relationships with guys, with men, it's not so much, do you like me? With us men, it's so much, do you respect me? That's where guys are at. And so when we fail, both guys and girls, what happens is we take it personally. So whether it be in relationships, whether it be in accomplishments, when we fail, we take it personally. And when we fail, we feel, church, we feel this way, that we can never recover from our failures, don't we? We feel that way. And so one of the greatest fears of all of us is the fear of failure, but it's also the pain of regret. How many of you have things in your life that you regret? And it's painful, right? When you think about it, right? We don't like to fail. We want to measure up. We want to be successful. But when we don't live up to our expectations, or maybe even you try to live up to the ex expectations of everybody else, and typically our greatest pain is regret. How many of you have lived your life like that? I wish I would have, right? I wish I could have or I should have or why didn't I? You know, if you haven't already had that moment in your life, I promise you, you're going to face it someday. See, there's some men that will have to look at their wives and, and, and explain to them, look them right in the eye and explain to them, you know, I, I betrayed the vow that I made to you and our family, you know, he'll face that regret of betraying the woman who was faithful to him or for maybe a guy, maybe for us, right, who would do anything he could for his spouse, but she struggled, like, with attention. Sometimes girls struggle with that, right, with attention from others, so she has to face him when he's asking her, like, why wasn't my attention enough for you? Maybe it's because you were comparing yourself to everyone else. Your best friend is doing better financially than you, and so now you feel like a failure because of that. Or maybe it's the one person that you regret you didn't marry, and you realize you were a selfish jerk, and 
you lost out on something you could have had. Maybe it isn't even an outward failure, church. Maybe it's not even an outward failure, but it's an inward failure. And see, nobody else sees it but you. Maybe it's the promise you made to yourself, and, and maybe it's the promise that you made to God. You know, I'll never do that again, but within 48 hours, you've done it again, and, and you do it again and again, and internally what happens is you feel like a failure. And so Samson's story teaches us something that we have to embrace. We have to internalize church. We've got to live with it, and it says it's the principle that just because you have failed at something, it doesn't make you a failure, If you're writing things down, I want you to write this down. A failure is an event, never a person. A failure is an event. It's never a person. See, we see in Samson's life this guy who failed over and over again, right? When it looks like he failed, church, it looks like he failed too much for God to even love him or too much for God to even use him. But we see a God in this story who still accomplishes his purposes, He accomplishes the purposes he sets out through a guy who repeatedly could not get it right. And so listen, just because you are down, I want you to know something, church, you are not out. Just because you are down, you are not out. If you failed at something, you're not a failure because failure is an event, it's never a person. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna pick up the story of Samson, Judges chapter 16. If you're following along in your Bible, turn to Judges chapter 16. We're gonna look at verse 23. And it says this in verse 23, now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. So let's look at what we just read here for a moment, church. So they would have been gathered in their temple to their false God. We're talking little G, right? Little G, their false God, Dagon. And if you understand how this went, church, it would have looked more like a coliseum. It wouldn't have been a small building like this. It would have been more like a coliseum. And biblical scholar says it would have layers upon layers of seating, all right? And they say that scholars say about 3,000 to 5,000 people could fit inside of this temple. And so here they are. They're, they're worshiping Dagon, which they call him the God of the harvest, And Dagon, if you don't know anything at all about it, it was a statue of a man head and a fish body. So he was man, fish, God, like I said, with a little g. So it picks it up in verse 24. It says, when the people saw him, meaning Samson, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. Now, I want to point out to you, we learned about this two weeks ago, right? Remember when Samson was ticked off, he got the 150 pair of foxes, tied the torches to their tail, set them loose into their fields, the Philistines' field, burned the place to the ground. So that's what they're saying right there. They're saying, man, we got the guy who laid waste to our land. And then they also said, in the one who multiplied our slain. Remember, we talked last week about Samson. He uh, took that donkey's jawbone. He killed a 1,000 of them with a donkey's jawbone. So they think that they got their guy. This is the guy they think that their false god delivered Samson into their hands. And then check out in, in verse 25. It says, while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. Now, I want to stop right there. He performed for them. Church, it doesn't get any lower than this. 
It doesn't get any lower than this. He is totally and completely 100% shamed in front of his enemies. He lost. He lost. You know, when I was growing up and we would play like Monopoly or Risk or one of those games that had a lot of pieces, the loser always had to clean it up. Unless someone got ticked off in the middle of the game and just flipped the whole board and it laid everywhere, then everyone had to clean it up, right? But, but what it was, it was, it was that, that shame of I'm the loser and I got to sit there and pick up all the pieces. And of course, your brother and sister, they make fun of you because you were the one they had to pick it up because you're a big loser, right? And so here's Samson in front of thousands of his enemies and they want him to perform for them. They want to make a mockery of him. And so Samson has failed massively. Church, there are two responses to failure. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. The first response is this. The natural response is remorse. The natural response is remorse. See, this is unfortunate because this is where most people stop. Most people stop right at remorse, right? Remorse is I feel bad about what I've did. You know, I, I shouldn't have done it. You know, I'm a bad person. I have no future. I hate my life. I hate myself. It's kind of one of those things. This remorse turns inward where you're focusing on yourself for the thing that you messed up. And then other times, church, it is this. It is an outward. Remorse can be thrown outward. And here's what it looks like. I'm the victim. It's your fault, that I'm like this. It's some, always someone else's fault. You know, if this wouldn't have happened, then I wouldn't have done this, right? I didn't ask for this. You know, with Samson's case, you, you know what? It's all Delilah's fault. She came at me with all that stuff, right? That's how he was looking at it. But see, there's a much better response, church, than just remorse. The better response is this, repentance. The better response is repentance. See, there is... Remorse is the natural response, but the better response is repentance. But it's not just, hey, you know, I, I didn't do what God entrusted me to do. It's not just, I, you know, I, I, I feel bad about it. No, it's this. I'm turning away from what I did wrong. I'm no longer going to keep going down that road, but I am going to turn around and I'm going to head back the right way. I'm running towards that which is right. That's Repentance. Remember last week we said that men don't ruin their lives all in one, one swoop. No, it's a, it's a step process. They do it one step at a time. <clears throat> so if you're going in the wrong direction, what do you do, church? You turn around. That's what repentance is, right? Remorse focuses on the bad. It looks at all the bad things that we've done in our life, but repentance turns from the lower to that which is higher. That's what repentance does. Re means turn, right? If you're looking at the basis of this word, re means turn and pent means highest, right? In a hotel, penthouse suite, the very top suite up there. That's what it is. And so repent, it means you turn from to the high point. You turn to go to the high point. And so we turn from our lower sinful ways and we begin to pursue and turn back to God in his higher ways. Church, you realize that you were created. Every single, God doesn't make junk. I've told you a ton of times from this stage, God does not make any junk. Every single one of you were created for a purpose. Now, some people say, oh, I know I was created to be a teacher. Eh, God gave you some teacher skills. 
You know, I was created to be a mother. I was created to be a dad. Yes, he gave you the skills and abilities to be a mother or a dad. But listen, here's what God actually created you for. You were created to honor and to glorify God. That's the number one thing with your life. All the other stuff's extra. As my grandma said, extra. It's extra. You were created to honor and glorify God. It's not that I just feel bad about this, but I'm going to completely, in turn, to let God redeem his purposes through the divine process in my life. That's what it's for. See, all of us are going to do some things that you can't undo. I mean, seriously, we all have things in life, you did it, and you, you, you can't undo it. When I was in high school, for whatever reason, me and my brother and Corey, we always ended up in study hall together, which was not always good. And for those of you who went to Beaver Local, Beaver Local had that great big auditorium, right? And, and that's where they held study hall, another bad choice for the administration of the schools. So they put all these kids in there, they'd separate you by a couple of seats, and my brother and I, we sat in the back, Blakely, Blakely, right there beside each other. And one time I found all these marbles, and I brought them to school. And so I kind of looked at my brother. We also had a little bit of communication. You didn't even have to say the words. I break these marbles out, and I dumped them out at the top of the auditorium. Now, as I'm releasing these marbles, and they start rolling down the aisles, hitting all the metal chairs, ting, 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 ting. I mean, it created a ruckus in there. Nobody knew what was going on. Remember the teacher's head popping up to see what it was? But listen, the moment that I released those marbles, there was no going back. It could not be undone anymore. And then when I saw the teacher's reaction, I instantly like, oh, no. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have done that. There was some remorse. No repentance at that moment. But there was remorse. Church, do you realize the things that you do in your life, you can't undo them. The things that you've done, the words that you've spoken to someone, once they come out of your mouth, they are out there. You can't gather them up. You can't take them back. You can say, oh, I take that back. No, you still spoke them. And they're rolling around that person's head, that nastiness that you said to them. Once you do something, you cannot undo it. And church, think about this. Some of you, once you have released the things in your life, these bad decisions that you're making, they, they cannot be undone. They cannot go back. You can't undo things, but listen, church, here's what you can do. You can repent. You can repent of the things that you have done. I wonder if Samson came to that point, right? So there he is. He's in shackles, thousands of people making fun of him, throwing stuff at him, all those kind of things. I wonder if he came to the point where he remembered, you know what, I was created to be something, I was created for something way more than this. Listen, he was not created to entertain his enemies. No, he was created and sent apart by God to do something significant, something major. And I want to tell all of you the same exact thing today. You were created by God to do something significant. And let me tell you something. Don't you dare diminish or make God's plans for your life be something tiny. Whatever it is he planned for your life, it's important. It's important. He created you specifically for that. See, you were created to honor God. You were created to glorify God with your life. And see, what we'll all have to do is we have to have that moment. How many of you, maybe some of you have already had that moment when you realize, you know what, who we were created to be. You realize, oh, wow, God gave me these gifts. God gave me these abilities. I need to use these things. I need to do these things, right? We can't let our spiritual enemy, though, 
lure us into that remorse cycle where you look back, where you're constantly dwelling on the things that you've done wrong. Church, I can't tell you how many times I've been up here preaching and the enemy gets right behind me and he whispers in my ear, Mark Blakely, you've got so much nerve. You know what you've done. And I start to buy it for a minute. I start to feel that, like, man, maybe I shouldn't be up here. Maybe I shouldn't be speaking. But then God reminds me of something, church. He reminds me that I've already been set free from that, that I've been forgiven. And once God forgives you, church, he don't go back, okay? The Bible says he takes our sins and he casts them as far as the east is from the west, never to be met again, right? And so you have to remember, you can't keep going back into that cycle. You can't keep going back because the enemy wants to lure you in there because he gets you stuck, of you constantly having those regrets and worrying about what happened to back. You know, oh, I wish I would have, right? I wish I could have. I should not have. I didn't. I didn't do that, or I hate myself, right? Or Listen, you're doing the outward part. It's not my fault. Instead of being remorseful and looking back, repentance says this, church. Repentance says this. I'm not going to let what I did stop me from doing what God wants me to do. That's what repentance does. You're not going to let any of that garbage hold you back for the plans that God has for you. You know, I'm going to turn away from my sin, and I'm going to turn to God. That's what repentance is. You know, I can't change my past. It's already happened. But you know what? I'm going to look forward to what it is that God has for me. Church, you cannot change your past. You can't. But I tell you what, you can change your future. Every single person in this room, you can change your future. I tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in youth group. I got a lot of youth group years under my belt. You know, sitting in youth group, and you look at that one kid like, that boy heading down the wrong path, right? Or maybe you even know adults, right? You look at them like, wow, they are heading down a wrong path in life. Listen, church, do you understand? You literally have the power over this. You have the power over this. You cannot change your past, but you literally can change your future. You can change what direction you're heading in. Just because you are down does not mean that God has counted you out. Not for one moment. No, you are not what you did. You are not who the enemy says you are. You are who God says that you are. That's exactly who you are. And so, listen, we watched Samson realize this in Judges chapter 16. Remember, he's sitting there. They're all making fun of him, throwing stuff at him. Judges 16, verse 25 I'm going to read it to you again. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison. He performed for them. And when they stood him among the pillars. Now, I want you to get that image right there. They stood him in between the pillars of this great temple, this Colosseum-looking thing. So he's in the Colosseum, in the temple, with these giant pillars, which support the weight of the place. In Judges chapter 16, verse 26, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars. Remember, he don't have any eyeballs anymore. Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. So they put him right there. And, and he's right in that, that, that area there, church. And then I like what happens in verse 28. Check this out. It won't be on the screen because I made a mistake. It says, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. 
I like that one part right there, that one, I love this more than I can tell you, where he says, please, God, strengthen me just one more. Just, just once more. In other words, he's saying, you know, I've blown it, Lord, a thousand times. I, I, I don't need a thousand more chances. I've blown it way more, Lord, than I can count, but I don't need multiple opportunities. God, all I need from you is just one more chance. Lord, just give me one more chance at this. One time, God, just one more time. So what is Samson here, church? He's a broken man. He's broken. Remember all the other lessons that we've had this month? Samson's that kind of, you know, this guy, oh, it's all about me. I got this going on. I'm strong. I can do whatever I want. You know, no rules, no boundaries, right? He took with the gift that God gave him, and he squandered it for his own personal benefit and glory. But he's just saying, God, just one more time, I'm broken. I got no eyes anymore. I'm weak. My hair's gone. And that's what gave me the strength, Lord. So I'm asking you, Father God, just one more time, just give me enough strength just right here. See, it's no longer about him anymore, church, but it was all about God. And I personally believe that Samson kind of stepped across some spiritual line right there where he, he's saying, you know, for the first time in my life, God, it's not about me anymore. For the first time in my life, from this moment on, I'll give all of this to you, Lord. I will give you every single thing that I have. So he steps across that line and says, I'm no longer the main character of the story, God. You are now the main character. And everything I have, God, I will use it to honor you one more time. Church, I knew a guy one time who betrayed his family really bad. He asked me to meet him for lunch. I knew this guy really well, and, he, and he's telling me this story. We're sitting up in Boardman and sitting down and eating, and he says, I can't tell you how sorry I am. And, 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 you know, I was being tough on him. It was tough love. I said, in this case, bub, sorry don't cut it. It doesn't. You, you made a big mess of your family. You've got beautiful kids at home that you, you've really messed over. You've got a wife who was so loyal to you, and you messed it up. And, and he said, but I can't tell you how sorry I am. And here's what I told him. I said, don't just say it, show it. Don't just say that you're sorry. You show that you're sorry. And he goes, well, how can I do that? I said, years, buddy, <laughs> years. It's going to be a long, hard road for you. But you're gonna, it's going to take you years. And, but then he said this. He told me this. He said, but I will tell you this. For the rest of my life, my actions will prove that I want to honor God with the life that he has given me. And I said, show him. Show him probably 15 years later, because I was brand new in the ministry, this guy, I'm telling you, he's thriving. His family has been restored. They are living life well. His kids are well on a good path because he not only did he say he was sorry, he was repentative of it. He turned from that way and he went back the right direction. So many times, church, we just say we're sorry because we got caught. Growing up, you know what your kids did. They were not one bit sorry when you busted them doing anything. They were sorry you found out that they were doing something. That's what they were sorry about. Very rarely did they have a repentative heart because you know what? You go out and you see them do it again. Repentative heart means you're going to turn from it and go the other way. And so here's Samson. Here he is between these pillars, and he's saying, just once more. Just once more. Like my buddy I sat down with lunch, he said, man, for the rest of my life, I don't want to be the same. 
I want to be different. From now on, everything's going to be different, church. Listen, this is for all of us sitting here. It, It can no longer be about me. It can no longer be about you. It has to be all about him, meaning your heavenly father. It has to be about him. And so here's Samson at his lowest point in his life, massive public humiliation, right? Nobody believes there's anything good left in this guy. And internally, he has that private moment with God, just like some of you have maybe had in your life. Or maybe it's some of you are going to have it in your life very soon. So this guy was down, but he's not out. If you're writing things down, I want you to write this down. Even in our failures, God can accomplish his presence, his purposes, I mean. Even in our failures, God can accomplish his purpose. That's such good news, church. You realize no matter how bad you've messed it up, God can still accomplish his purpose. So what is God's purpose for Samson's life? It's that he would help Remember what Samson's main purpose in life, God gave him all that so he would help to deliver God's people from the hand of the Philistines. Check out verse 29 and 30 here. So Samson said, Lord, just give me one more. And then Samson reached toward the two central pillars in which the temple stood, bracing himself against him, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple and the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Samson destroyed many more of God's enemies in that act than he did when he lived. And it's only because, listen, church, God gave him the strength to do it. I remember as a little kid sitting in Sunday school and going like, teacher, this makes no sense to me. I said it in my head. I I said it just like that too. Teacher, this makes no sense to me. You say you're not allowed to kill yourself, but Samson just did it. Do you realize something? He had no strength left. He prayed and he said, God, strengthen me. One more time. God did not have to do that, except that that fulfilled God's purpose in Samson's life. And the only because God gave him the strength to do that last act, it goes to show you, church, that even in our failures, God can use you. Even though you have messed up, church, it's not over yet, and you are not what you did, you are who God says that you are. And if you're not dead, you're not done. I don't care how old you are, listen, you are still here for a reason. If you took a breath sitting in this church just one last second, that means God still has a purpose for your life. There's something that you need to do. You might not be able to do what you did when you were 25, but there's still things that you can do. And you can honor him with that. Do you realize, church, that there's more living in you? You gotta stop living in remorse. You really do. You have to stop living in the remorse of the past. You know, well, I shouldn't have, or or I'm not, or I'm never going to, right? They'll never trust me again. You got to stop living there. Stop living in your past. I found out about one month ago, I'm going to be that old guy in church that says, we never did it like that before. Because I get... I get caught up in the things of the past. I think when you hit 50 and beyond, you're always reflecting back and not always reflecting forward. I'm trying to change that mindset, okay? Because we like to live in the past, don't we? Sometimes even when it's bad for us, we like to hang out in the past, but God says we should not live in the past, but we need to look forward. But some of you, you like to camp in the past. I'm talking about you pitch a tent in the past. I'm talking about some of you build a brick house in your past, and you're wanting to live in somewhere that is not good for you. God says you move on. 
I still have a purpose for you. And if you are a Christian church, listen to me. If you are a Christian, you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living inside of you so you can overcome. Every single one of you. You may be down, but you're not out. Listen, you can be that man of God. You can be that woman of God. You might say, well, I've messed up so bad with all the stuff that I did. Guess what? Listen to me. That makes your story even better. You realize how much better that makes God look if you were such a smoking hot mess that God pulled you up out of that and did something with your life? It makes God look even cooler, doesn't it? Because people are like, well, I remember you. Oh, boy. It makes God look even more amazing. Look what God had brought me out of. Do you realize, church, that God's not finished with you yet? It is never too late to do what God wants you to do. Never too late, church. So as I call the praise team up here this morning, I want to share with you one last verse in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. It says this, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. I want you to hear that this morning. Even though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. That doesn't mean you can only get seven times to mess up, church. Listen to me. It means that even though you fall, you get back up again. Even though you've messed it up again, you get back up again. And do you know what the role is of the church in that is? You know what drives me about the, crazy about the church? Sometimes the church is the biggest cannibals on the earth. And when someone messes up, instead of wanting to rebuke them and restore them in love, we want to eat them. We don't do that. We don't. We pick them up. We dust them off. And we send them back down the road that God called them to. Because it's true. Every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, 23 says that. So don't you dare be looking at everybody else and judging them because you've fallen too. But for the righteous fall seven times, they get up again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. It means they don't. They don't see the purpose. They don't see the need. They don't see the reason. They don't understand that God's not done with them yet. And they just lay down and stay down. Church, listen to me. Think about this for a moment. If attacker breaks into your house to hurt someone that you love, you'll go after that and you would die trying to defend those that you love. This is exactly what Samson did. He realized his love for the Lord and that the Lord set him apart and he was willing to die for it. To die for the purpose that God had for them Listen to me, real believers in Christ, they give their lives daily. They sacrifice their life every single day to their heavenly father. Every single day you wake up and you're like, Lord, I give it to you again. Because you know what, yesterday at noon, I took it back, Father. But today I'm gonna sacrifice it again. I'm gonna give you my hurts. I'm gonna give you my pains. We die to ourselves daily. And Samson pushed down those pillars and he sacrificed himself. And so this morning, here's what I want to ask you, church. What pillars are you pushing down? How many of you are willing to die to yourself every single day? You're going to push them pillars down and say, all right, I'm going to do it again. Lord, I'm sacrificing my life for you again today.
It's not about what I want. It's not about what I've done in the past, Father. It's about your plans, your will for my life. And I'm going to sacrifice what I want because I want to be in your will, Father. So this morning, that might be hitting you hard. It might be really bringing it home for you today that you realize you're not sacrificing anything for him. You're actually living in your own accord. You're kind of running wild and free like Samson is. God's giving you all these gifts, all these blessings in your character, right? In, in, the, in the things that he's given you, your talents, right? Your treasure. And you're running wild and free just like Samson did. And God's saying, that's not why I gave you that. If you give your kid $10 to go to the store and buy milk and bread and eggs, and he comes back with nothing but candy and didn't bring the stuff you gave him the money to go get, you're going to be, that's a problem. Do you realize your heavenly father has given you gifts and he wants you to go out and to do something with them? And if you're not using them, that's a problem. You're all blessed. Stop living in the past. Recognize he has a future for you and you need to live it daily for him. So how about it, church? How many of you this morning need to make it right with God? I want to, you're sitting here and you're realizing like, preacher, you punched me in the gut and in the mouth today. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> It's time for you to get it right with him. It's time for you. You can come forward. There'll be people up here to pray for you, help lead you down the path that you need to go to to turn around and head down the right road towards your heavenly father. If that is you, I want to encourage you to come forward, to give your life to Christ, to sacrifice yourself to him. And for the rest of you believers who are sitting here, and you're not living by the model, you're kind of living how Samson was, you know the truth. You know that you were set apart. You know that you already gave yourself to him once, but you're kind of doing your own thing out there. You got your own gig going on. And God's saying, I want you to come home. I want you to come back to your first love. I want you to recognize that I have something still for you to do. You have not accomplished it yet. Man, if you need to come forward and just to be prayed over for that, for strength, saying, Lord, give me strength again to get back on the right path. He will give it to you. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and let's sing. I want to encourage you to respond this morning.